Thank you, Sihui, for reading God's Word with us, and a very good morning to everyone. <laughs> Great. I'm glad you're here despite the, the rain at our various parts of Singapore. Um, let me start by praying and um, turning to our Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that the rain has nourished your land. And God, we pray this morning that your word will nourish our hearts. We pray for our brothers and sisters who are on their way and who will be coming later, that God, you will do the same for them. In Jesus' name, Amen. Today we are Second 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. We have been going through a series, uh, and this is the last chapter. I'd like to begin with this question for us. This is the question. How are we supposed to live as Christians waiting for the Lord's return? Let me say that again. How are we supposed to live as Christians while waiting for the Lord's return? You know, what has, what has happened the past few weeks is that as Church BTBC was journeying with Church Thessalonica over the past few weeks, we have learned quite a few things about Christianity. We have learned the amazing power of the gospel to draw people to Christ in the first century and up to today. We have learned the reality of suffering for Christians because of the gospel. We have learned the assurance that Jesus will return and we will not miss it. And we learn that the power of lawlessness is really at work in this world. And last week we learned this thing that we are to stand firm as Christians. So this morning as we look at the concluding chapter of this letter, I want to ask this very practical question for us. How are we supposed to live as Christians? while waiting for the Lord's return in a hostile world that's filled with opposition, delusion, and persecution. You know what we have learned? That just as God was serious about spreading His message that saves humanity to the world, Satan is serious about obstructing it. Just as God is serious to send fragile people like His people, like us, to bring the gospel that can save humanity, Satan is serious about using people that do not love the truth to stop it. So as we look at chapter 1 and 2, we have already seen how the world, Satan, and how um, Satan's people will spare no effort to create obstacles for the gospel and to entangle Christians. So as we come to this last chapter, or this last section, Paul, he has an urgent message, and his urgency reveals what is in his heart and his mind for Christians to advance the gospel, and to live out our Christian identity seriously. So this morning in chapter 3, I'm going to mention three areas uh, that Paul mentions. And they are this, praying, modeling, and living. If you have your handout, you realize I've changed the word slightly. But uh, these are the three things, praying, modeling, and living. First of all, praying for the gospel to advance. Praying for the gospel to advance. Second, modeling after or modeling as gospel-minded Christians. And thirdly, living out the gospel as a community. So to help us uh, to keep this passage useful, just remember these three words for this uh, this morning, as well as the rest of the week, is praying, modeling, and living. And so this is how Paul begins, praying for the gospel to advance. And this is what he says in verse 1, if you look at verse 1 with me. This is what Paul says. Brothers and sisters, 
pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you. Now, as one who takes the command to proclaim the gospel seriously, Paul knows the urgency for prayer. He knows the power of the gospel. He also knows the opposition of the gospel. So Paul's request here is fully focused on gospel advancement. Now, as the Lord Jesus himself has said, the gates of hell shall not prevail. So Paul says, let's pray that the gospel can advance. Now, in fact, the Thessalonians themselves are fully aware of this and they are first-hand recipients of what Paul is asking for prayer, that the gospel spread amongst them and be glorified. Because what has happened in Acts, in the story with Paul and the Thessalonians, was he was there for barely four weeks, three Sundays, and a multitude of people become Christians. Uh, this is what Acts tell us. I'll just uh, read it to you as one verse. This is what happens in Thessalonica. He says, Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and a few prominent women. So four weeks, three Sundays, and the message of the Lord spread rapidly and was honored by believing uh, in it. So Paul urges the Thessalonian Christians to pray. Pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you. Now, there's a lady by the name Corrie Ten Boom. I'm not sure if you have heard of her name. Uh, she's a survivor of Holocaust in prison for rescuing um, the Jews from the Nazis. She said this, Is prayer your steering wheel or is prayer your spare tire? Is, steering, uh, is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? Um, sometimes it, we, we might be guilty of it being a spare tire, right? But for Paul, prayer is never a spare tire, never a, by the way, never a lucky charm. Because the gospel-minded people like Paul, they know all about persecution, they know all about hindrance, they know all about weaknesses, and they know the importance of prayer. And this is where Paul goes on in verse 2, he says, And pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people, for not everyone has faith. As you look at this, what, what do you think Paul is trying to say? Um, let me suggest this is what Paul is saying. He's not asking for personal comfort to escape some suffering, because that totally contradicts what he's been saying all along, isn't it? Instead, I think what he's saying is that, pray that gospel workers like us may not be hindered from co- proclaiming the gospel message to those uh, by those who do not have the faith. No, in fact, it seems quite likely that as Paul is writing, he's thinking, his heart is thinking about Thessalonians, that he himself are facing oppositions. Because we have heard about oppositions for, for Paul at various parts of the Bible. You have, uh, you have the super apostles in Corinth that kind of he has to deal with. You have Demetrius, the um, metal worker in Ephesus, uh, silversmith, who is trying to uh, get him into trouble. You have all kinds of Jews who want him killed or imprisoned. So Paul's focus as he's writing this, it's not a kind of a theoretical thing, but it's a real thing that he might be facing, and he's saying that pray that the gospel may not be hindered. I'd just like to draw one story from Paul's um, encounter with wicked and evil people, uh, and then use what he says to the Thessalonians uh, and draw it uh, for us in application. This is what happens to Paul at the close to the end of his life in Second Timothy. This is what uh, Paul experienced, and he wrote to his dear uh, spiritual son, Timothy. He wrote this, Alexandra the metal worker did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. 
you, Timothy, too, should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. Now, as we pause at this story and reflect on Paul's prayer request, we see that the greater prayer concern for Paul is not a physical safety, but that the gospel may not be hindered. You know, as Paul writes 2 Timothy, he's ready to die. He said he's been poor like a drink offering. And even though wicked and evil people like Alexandra the metal worker is obstructing him and causing him great harm, Paul knows that he has actually been delivered from wicked and evil people because this is what he says right after that. He says in verse 16, he says, At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it and I was delivered from the lion's mouth. Paul says what? He says, I've been delivered from the lion's mouth, from the wicked and evil people. And guess what? He's not being released from physical harm. He's about to be martyred. But that's what he says. So even as he's waiting for his imminent death, He's not praying for comfort. He's praying that the gospel is preached and he thanked God that despite all these obstacles, the Lord was with me and the gospel went forth uh, and, and proclaimed to the Gentiles. And Christians, as we finish our journey, despite our spiritual war uh, and also um, the, the hindrance, this is what Paul's urgent prayer has. Uh, and is the same for us to, to have the gospel advance and not be hindered. In fact, he didn't say this just uh, for himself. He's saying it for all the Christians. Look at how Paul quickly now turns from a prayer to the Thessalonians, uh, who perhaps have been Christians for, for a short time, to, to, uh, to them. Look at uh, back to 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 3 as we look at verse 2 to verse 5. This is what Paul says. No, not everyone has faith. But the Lord is faithful and He will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we command. So as he prayed, as he asked the Thessalonians, pray for me, he then quickly turns to the Thessalonians, the Lord will do the same for you. Now contrary to the wicked and evil people who have no faith that do not believe, Paul is saying that the Lord is faithful. And he will fulfill what he has promised to be faithful to the Thessalonians and to us. And Jesus will strengthen his people and to protect them from the evil one and works of lawlessness so that we can finish our race and so that we can finish our command and our task to advance the gospel. Now, I just want to kind of pause here for a moment and ask, how is your prayer life and how is my prayer life at the moment? Are we praying for the gospel to spread? Are we praying that the gospel be honored? Because people have come to know the Lord. You know, when I was reading First Thessalonians 3, 1-4, I was greatly rebuked in my own prayer life. How slow, how lax my prayer life has been recently. In fact, there are a few dear friends that always uh, send me their prayer requests, and they depend on prayer requests to do what they have asked, uh, they have been tasked to do. As I read some of these prayer letters, they come in, and I took a few weeks before I really spent time to pray, and I felt very rebuked as I 
look at the letter because they trust that we pray so that they can do the work for the gospel. No, perhaps, just perhaps, it's a good time for us to pray not just randomly and occasionally, but to actually pray regularly and specifically. Find a, a missionary by name that you can pray for, maybe even keep in contact, pray for a mission field. Sometimes we have mission people that come out and share about mission field. Pick it up and pray regularly. I know some people here praise for a certain part of career um, regularly. Perhaps we can pray for our own church mission committee. Right, they have been working hard in the past years. Now they're actively looking for a next mission field after we have completed with HOS. You know, pray for leaders like Carlson, pray for Y, pray for the community that they, as they think hard on how as a church we can go forth and that they will actually be able to plan well together. In fact, pray for our sister Shirley who has gone off to, to study so that she can get back and go into the mission field. I think to pray specifically for people and regularly because prayer is urgent, because the gospel is certain, but the obstacle is just as certain that we will face it. So will you and I take up urgency to pray? So uh, let's just pause here for a moment. If you have a pen or mentally, you want to think this week, what are the one or two things that I will actually put in to pray for beside myself or my family? Just think, just think for a moment. You could just put one or two things in your mind or on a pen um, that we could pray for. There is a great urgency. But now the question comes in, right? Is okay, Andrew, we should pray, but what will keep me praying? How will my heart keep wanting to pray? And this is where Paul comes in. Look at verse 5. This is what Paul says. And they will draw our hearts into the advancement of the gospel. Look at verse 5. He says, May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. Just imagine me, a young lady. Okay, she's reminded of her mother's love every time when she sees a scar on her side. Because the only kidney that is functioning in her is not her own, it's her mom's. Now, so as Paul writes in verse 5, what he's asking is this, okay, just listen carefully. Paul is asking our Lord Himself to direct our hearts to really remember and experience God's love every time we look to the cross, to the source of forgiveness, of grace, of hope, of a secured future. And the very reason we can and we actually want to reciprocate a love uh, to God and to tell others about Christ. And as we look at the cross and experience God's love, we should have, we realize that we should have been the one who is hung there, but Christ hung himself there for us. We should have been the one that faces everlasting destruction in chapter 1 verse 9. But chapter 1 verse 10 tells us we are heading to everlasting life. Chapter 2 tells us in verse 12 that we should be amongst the condemned. Verse 13 tells us that God sanctify us with his spirit and his truth. So as we look at the cross, it is where we see the love of God and not at the world and comparing if God loves me with this and that material things. And as, uh, as Paul asked for the Lord to point us to his own perseverance, that we, when we see Christ who has already persevered for us, that we can learn and respond in the same perseverance. So let's pray for the message of the Lord to spread rapidly and to be honored by acceptance and obedience. But you know what? The, the truth 
is this, that um, Christians, we are not yet perfect. Even you have the best marriage, you have the best parental relationship, the best friendships, the best church, it will still be sprinkled. Sprinkled with sin, self-centeredness and distractions. And this is where Paul brings in the rest of today's passage, uh, which is not going to be as long as the first part. Um, He gives them warning and telling them the importance to model after godly Christians. Look at verse 6 and 7 with me as we look at modeling after gospel-minded people and modeling as gospel-minded people. Verse 6. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and destructive and does not live according to the teaching you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our examples. Now just as their call to pray is focused on the Lord, so now Paul's command for them to respond is focused on the Lord and His name, that they should leave out their identity in their community for His glory. No, but as we read on chapter 3, uh, there are some Christians amongst them who are kind of idolists. They are kind of disruptive amongst the church, not living according to the teaching given to them by Paul when they become Christians. These idling believers are becoming unhelpful to the gospel and to the church. And Paul calls the Christians, keep away from such believers. Now we'll come back again in verse 14, why Paul actually does that. But here he wants to bring to their attention how they should model after gospel-minded people and to be models themselves to others. You know, what's the best example to talk about modeling? For Paul, he finds that the best way is to talk about his own modeling with the Thessalonians. Um, and that's back in chapter X, 17 when he was with them. He reminds them of his action and that be, the believers, if they're idlers, they will have no excuse. And if they're believers who are experiencing what the idols are doing, will know how to handle the situation. So Paul reminds them saying, verse 7, You yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling, so that we would not have a burden, be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. Now Paul's approach is this. It's not just do as I say, but do as I do. Now Paul intentionally models uh, himself so that he can bring the gospel to them. Because this is what happens in the first century and you find it's the same here. Okay, The orators or speakers who are famous, the more famous they are, the higher amount you pay them and the greater you treat them as VIPs. Okay, so this is how it happens now. It's the same that happens in Paul's time. But Paul looks at them and says, no, this is not what I'm going to do. So his missionary style, if you look at it, you'll notice this is what Paul does. He will not get money from the non-Christians or the new believers. He gets other churches to support him. Or if it's not enough, he'll be a tent maker. He'll be there day and night, night and day, toiling and working and building with his leather, uh, leather goods with his hand, so that the gospel goes to them for free. In fact, because of that, in Korean, when he did that, they think, ah, this guy must be cheapskate, you know. We don't have to pay him money. But he says, I'm doing it because I love you. This is how he did it. No, the reality is, the testimonies later, he pro- they probably did support Paul when he was in Korean because 2 Corinthians 11 says, no, the Macedonians, which includes the Thessalonians, supported me so that I can preach to you, Koreans. Uh, 
But when they did that later on, it's not because of themselves, because they themselves become convinced this is how the gospel advanced. No, but while Paul was with the Thessalonians, he and Silas worked night and day, which is Paul's way of saying, I labor hard and toil hard for your sake, so that you know the gospel is genuine and is given to you at a costly price. No, the reality is this. Let me ask this question. The reality is this. Who else can a new Christian model after if not the person that shares the gospel with him or her? Let me say that again. Who else can a new Christian model after if not Christians? Who else can the world understand what Christianity and the power of the gospel is if not looking at the church? Do you see what is coming in as Paul is concerned? That as we pause here and reflect on on what Paul is saying, can I, can I pause and ask, ask to reflect on the idea of Christian modeling? Have you and I intentionally looked for a mature Christian whom we can model humility, godly service, godliness, faithfulness, love, perseverance, humility? Do we ourselves have ever considered that we should model after, be a model to younger Christians or those who have been Christians more recent? Than us. You know, I got to know a, a couple back in Perth. They were in the same congregation as I was for many years, and they always served joyfully. They'll be there the first to set up the table at the hall. They'll be first to wash dishes in the kitchen. They'll be the ones who intentionally speak to to international students who come in and looks very blur. They're always open to serve. You know, the husband he always whistles right when he he set up tables. In fact, we have a uh, those big Chinese tables for 10 people for lunch. So he's this man with a bad back that his wife always tells him not to and he'll be trying to set it up as quickly as he can so that the rest of us could be busy talking to each other and talking to new people. And the wife will volunteer to do anything that he can't find volunteers. The only thing she tells me is, Andrew, just don't put me on singing for the love of the brothers and sisters. That's what she claims, but she's willing to do anything but that. And uh, the people around sees them as such a lovely, godly couple. But you know what? To me, they are my gospel-minded models. They are my Paul and Silas. Because I know them a bit more than the rest. This is what I know about them. You know, in their early days, they have been lecturers in universities. In fact, they were invited to China to, to teach. And uh, wherever they go, they'll try to share the gospel. They open their homes to internationals. doesn't matter what kind of internationals. Teaching them English, offering them tea, friendship. They invite whoever they can to study the Bible. You know, when our families were struggling a little bit, the, the wife come in and become our kids' kind of surrogate granny at times, right? And the husband will help to preach when we kind of needed some help, and he will offer to preach as, a, as our backup. And two years ago, this is what happened. They decided to leave their well-loved church, the community that loves them, and they have been there for decades, are to join a struggling church that is next to their retirement village so that they can support a pastor and to teach the Sunday school with a grand total of three kids. And they did it because they think that this is what they can best serve at where they are. They didn't find comfort and they didn't find achievement. They, in fact, their gospel-minded modeling has never been based on their past achievement. 
they'll just keep going on and I ask them, why do you keep doing this? And hey, can, you, can you tell me your secret? And says, Andrew, we have no strategies. Don't ask us about strategy. We're kind of just normal people. We, we just figure out things ourselves. But as I listen to it, I say, you know, when I grow up, I don't want to be like professors or whatever. I want to be just like them if I'm 80. That was their modeling to me. And there's another lady, an Aussie lady who speaks better Cantonese than anyone else I can know, right? Uh, she speaks really good Cantonese. She's 80 plus. And uh, she modeled what it means to pray. Because she says, no, Andrew, I'm not as young and fit I used to be. She, she used to be a missionary, right? But, but what I can do is to pray for people. And she does. And you know it when she writes to you or when she talks to you that she has been praying. No, as Paul intentionally models to the Thessalonians, it is an honest challenge as we consider if we actually model for people or if we look for models to model after. For who else can young believers, who else can our children, if you're a parent, who else can non-Christians look to to understand the power of the gospel? Paul pleaded the Corinthians, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Perhaps today is a, is a good time for us to take baby steps to think about modeling uh, after mature Christians and be a model for younger Christians. Perhaps some of us who are older and more mature, we can think how we can model prayer for our younger Christian brothers and sisters that you pray and you show us how to pray. So praying, modeling, and living. Praying, modeling, and living. Praying for gospel to advance, modeling after gospel-minded people, or modeling as gospel-minded people. And finally, living out the gospel as a community. You know, but as with all churches, not everyone in Thessalonica takes on the idea of modeling, right? It's the same everywhere. Some were idling. When Paul came and shared the gospel, they continued to be idlers and perhaps sponging off the generosity of the church. Look at verse 10 onwards with me. Verse 10, For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. Now, we, we need to understand the context of, of um, Paul and the Thessalonica. He's not talking about people who are unable to work. He's not talking about people who can't work, can't find work, or people who need help even though they are working. He's not talking about all those. He's not talking about those moms for unpaid heroes, but they're working probably more than uh, the dads at times, right? Uh, but Paul, in his context, is saying to the Thessalonians, who are people who are totally healthy, who can totally find work, and who refuse to work. Instead of busy working, they are busy bodies. You know, when that happens, the people who do that, they are not concerned about gospel advancement. They are not interested in praying. They are not interested to be a model. They're not interested. They're only interested in other people's business. This is what happens. Now, as we read this passage, we need to realize, as Paul is pointing out issues with the idlers, he's more concerned with what is the implication of that on the idlers themselves, on the church as a community, and ultimately on the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 11 to 15 as I read this uh, uh, for us. This is what Paul says. We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. Some people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. And as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. Take special note 
of anyone who does not obey our instruction in this letter, do not associate with them in order that they may feel ashamed. Yet do not regard them as an enemy, but warn them as you would a fellow believer. Now as Paul says this, is speaking to the church, but he's also speaking to the idlers who are listening at the moment. For the idlers, they are becoming unchristlike, and Paul is concerned with their unruly refusal to work, to become busybodies, to actually disrupt the Thessalonian church who is trying to be gospel-minded. You know, these idling busybodies, though professing Christians, they are kind of ignoring Paul's instruction in the past, and they are going in a dangerously downward trend. Look at verse 14. Just look at verse 14 and hold it there as we um, look at it. Verse 14, Take special note of anyone who does not obey our instruction in this letter. Do not associate with them in order that they may feel ashamed. Now, while Paul is speaking in the church, including the idols, he is actually giving them another chance. Because this is what happens. If they listen to verse 14a, verse 14b will not happen. Okay, Look at verse, the verse again. If they listen to verse 14a, verse 14b will not happen. If they listen to A and they stop becoming idlers and busybodies, the church will continue to associate with them and there is no shame. But if they remain stubborn, then the hearers are not to associate with them. But notice that even by not associating with them, Paul is saying, I'm giving them another chance that they may feel ashamed and they may actually repent and come back. You know, this sounds a bit foreign because this totally doesn't work in Singapore. Okay? In Singapore, if you have someone who is um, unhappy because of whatever reason, they can easily move to another church and nothing needs to be done. But in Thessalonica, it's not the same. There's no two, three different churches that you can go to. This is your church, right? So when Paul is instructing them to repent, they can either uh, be shamed or whatever and they come back and share com- uh, their communion together, or they go on the downward trend. There's no second church that you can hop to where no one knows you, unless you kind of move to uh, Jerusalem or somewhere else, right? Uh, but you can't. This is what happens. And as we read this, notice that Paul uses strong languages, but he does not regard them as enemies. As the whole thing, he says, brothers, brothers, brothers and sisters. He's treating the idlers as brothers and sisters. What he is saying is he's gravely concerned for them to live as they are called to. Because if they are idlers, or if they are gossipers, how will they be testimonies of the gospel, or role model for non-Christians, or active prayer warriors, or messengers to the dying world that you need to come back to God to be saved? Now as we pause here, it's a warning. Paul's words is a warning to all churches, including ours, and we need to ponder this carefully. No. Able idlers may not be a common issue in Singapore, right? In fact, people say sometimes I work hard, I also don't have, don't have enough to feed myself, right? So able idlers might not be a common issue for Singapore, but busy bodies is a temptation for everyone. It doesn't matter who you are or where you are from. Busy bodies is a temptation for everyone. Someone says this, says this, effective evangelism depends on credible Christian at workplace. Okay, let, let me rephrase it a little bit. Effective evangelism and gospel modeling depends on credible Christians at workplace, in church, at home, everywhere. 
You know, the fastest way to lose our credibility is when we gossip and become busybodies. So Paul says, let us not be idlers and busybodies. And Paul is also concerned for the church. Look at verse 13. He says, as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. You know what's happening for Thessalonians? It's really hard enough. They are facing persecution. They are facing false teachers. They are facing the power of lawlessness. Uh, it'll be worse. And Paul is concerned that the idlers and busybodies in the church is going to break the camel's back. That they'll stop doing what they are called to do. That's why Paul says, as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. So kind of as we step back and consider why Paul says all this, it actually goes back to verse 1 to 5 that we have spent a huge deal of time on. So that the message of the Lord Jesus and the message and the gospel uh, may be spread rapidly and swiftly and may be glorified. That's why Paul uses such strong languages on idlers. Look at what he says in verse 6. He says, In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ we command you, of verse 12. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you imagine in church, some you just did something, in the name of Lord Jesus Christ. It sounds a bit strong, but that's what Paul is doing because he sees the seriousness. So now, let me, as I kind of wrap up today, um, let me come back to our first question. How are we supposed to live as Christians waiting for the Lord's return? I think in chapter 3, Paul points that three things to us. Praying, modeling, and living. So let me conclude with uh, with a story. Um, this is uh, about John Stott, the great pastor preacher. You know, he gave his last sermon. Do you want to hear important people their last words? Right. This is what John Stott's last sermon is. He wants to address this question. John Stott says, "What is God's purpose for His people? What is God's purpose for His people?" And in his last sermon before he dies, he answers with his own words. And I quote, I have it there. I want to share with you where my mind has come to rest as I approach the end of my pilgrimage on earth. And it is, God wants his people to become like Christ. Christ's likeness is the will of God for the people of God. Christ's likeness is the will of God for the people of God. This is the reason why Paul is so urgently asking for prayer. This is why he is diligently modeling to other Christians. And this is why he's anxiously warning against falling away. So as we come to a close, can we seriously think for this week perhaps about praying, about modeling, about living for the message of the Lord to spread rapidly and be honored in the world, in our church and in us? Shall we pray? I'd just like to give us a moment to reflect. Just pray by ourselves one of these areas in our own lives, praying, modeling, and living. And after a short while, I'll close with a prayer using verse 16 and 18. Just take a moment to pray by ourselves on one of these three areas. And I'll close.
Dear Heavenly Father, what rebukes and comfort this passage brings to us. How often we have been called in our prayer for your message to spread and be honoured. How often we are slow in praying for your messengers who are facing difficulties, persecutions and oppositions. How slow we have been, your messengers, but yet how faithful your message has been in the last 2,000 years to reach us today, save us from judgment and bring us to eternal life. Lord, how slow we are in being role models to witness to others. Yet you continue to entrust with this, us with this privilege that we can model the gospel to others. Father, how often we are distracted in living as gospel community. But again, God, you call us back in love, promising forgiveness and even grace and peace. So Father, may Jesus, our Lord of peace, give us peace at all times and in every way as we take serious our Christian identity in this world. And may the Lord Jesus be with all of us. And we are never left to fend for ourselves when Satan and the power of lawlessness comes against us. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with us all, Father, that none of us who turn back to you and to Jesus will be left without grace. For our peace with you has been won by his cross. And Father, for the rest of us who, or the some of us who have not yet known peace with you, that God, you will reveal your love by showing us the cross. For the glory of Jesus, we pray. Amen.